Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 321. Today I'm joined by my buddy Jace Allen to talk about chasing a season and killing a booner in a high-pressured piece of public land. So stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you are doing well hope you are feeling fine my weekend was actually a pretty good weekend nothing hunting related uh, except i did hang out with my buddy aaron hepler he and i got together on uh saturday i think it was and hung out 
uh, talked some hunting, shot some bows, uh, watched a little hunting on uh, some, uh, watched a little white tail adrenaline. Um, it was an old video because I, I don't know if the new one came out or not yet. Um, I actually haven't looked. Uh, so it was an old video. I just like to keep, I, I rewatch them uh, because they are, they are that good. Uh, but that's, that's basically what my weekend kind of, what I had in store for my weekend. But the best part of the weekend was if you heard uh, the podcast I did with Dan Johnson, the nine fingered wonder, we talked a little grappling in that podcast and we talked Pence, uh, Penn state wrestling and Iowa Hawkeye wrestling. There was a big meet that was coming up that happened this past weekend. And, uh, <clears throat> I guess safe to say Iowa still has the better deer and Pennsylvania still has the better wrestling because the uh, Nittany Lions pulled out, uh, pulled out the win. And uh, we'll look forward to, uh, the March timeframe when we get to, uh, um, the Big Tens and, and Nationals and see what happens. I and mean, maybe maybe Dan and I can make a wager of some sort. Maybe the loser has to wear the opposing team's singlet for a photo op for uh, for social media. I don't know. I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can get that lined up or not. Maybe you guys uh, DM uh, Dan Johnson and, and and ask him to take that uh, to take the singlet bet uh, with me. We'll see see if we can make that happen. It'd be hilarious. Um, but we're going to just kind of jump into the, uh, into, into things today. Uh, have a couple things I want to pass along to you guys. Um, you guys, if you're local or, or nearby, the great American outdoor show is getting ready to kick off. I don't have my phone in front of me and I don't recall what the first day of the actual, um, of the event is. I want to say it's the, yeah, it's the fourth. I think it's the fourth through the 14th, if I'm not mistaken of, uh, of February. I'll be there on the 4th hanging out uh, with my buddies uh, at Exodus. Uh, their booth is in the archery hall and I'll be spending a little bit of time at the tethered booth as well. I think they're they're also in the archery hall and I think their booth number is 1033 uh, if memory serves. Also, our buddies over at Exodus, uh, if you haven't gotten word yet, um, they are launching their new uh, Exodus Rival camera, which is their budget-friendly uh, truck camera. So the cool thing about Exodus, what they've always done, it's kind of the inception of the brand and of, of their products is they pay attention to what works, what doesn't work, and basically what normal people, hunters, you know, are looking for. They take, you know, your real-time feedback and try to figure out how they make their products better or make better products just, you know, just period. And that was kind of the genesis of uh, the, the the Exodus Rival cell camera. You know, they heard at trade shows and stuff like that, people were looking for a more budget-friendly cell camera, but one that wasn't faulty, if you will. There's, there's other options out there that just don't have quite the... Uh, the same backing that Exodus does in terms of like their, uh, in, in terms of their support and just like how rugged they're, they're made and how well, and how well they work. And so what they did is they went to the lab and, and they created the, uh, the Exodus rival, which is a, um, a budget friendly trail camera that comes in or cell camera that comes in at $179. Um, and it just flat out works just like you would expect all, uh, like, like any of their other cameras work, whether it's the lift or, uh, or the render. And of course, this is also backed by their Exodus, uh, advantage five year, uh, no BS warranty. And so the rivals built with the same kind of durability that you are used to with all the Exodus products. Uh, but with lightning fast cellular capabilities. So it's easy to use, easy to set up. You get great photos. Um, and while they were developing the Exodus rival, their goal was really simple. It was design something that was very simple yet very effective cell camera that just flat out works. No fuss, no muss. And so a few of the things, you know, you can find all this stuff on their website at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. But a few of the specs just to kind of give you a heads up is a 0.3 second trigger speed, 70 foot detection distance. Uh, with adjust, uh, adjustable sensitivity, 30-second photo transmission, adjustable image quality you know, on upload photos, crisp H HD images. It's compatible with the SP18 solar panel. 
uh, which I use on all my cell cameras. And then again, it has the five year, no BS, uh, warranty. So the excess rival is officially it opened for pre-sale. I think it was January 16th. So it's been open for about a half a month now. Uh, and it will run, uh, or actually they'll start to ship those, uh, I believe February 6th. So you can use the code launch that's L A U N C H and you can save $30 off each camera while supplies last. And they're basically going to run this thing until February 14th at midnight or, you know, until they run out of cameras, if they run out of cameras before that. So if you're not hopped on, if it's something you want to pick up, I would head over to excessoutdoorgear.com and, uh, pick that up now. Also, our buddies at BHA, so Backcountry Hunter, Hunters and Anglers uh, of Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania chapter. Um, if you guys don't know what 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 they are, they're basically a group of grassroots uh, grassroots folks, uh, grassroots organization of outdoorsmen, um, men and women that are really kind of focused on you know uh, speaking up for wildlife, hunting heritage. Uh, they're you know help get involved with like with some of the Sunday hunting stuff. Um, and so they're just a really good organization that kind of has hunters and outdoorsmen's kind of best interests, um, best interests in mind. If, if this sounds like something like you would be interested in, or sounds like people, um, like you, they will be at the great American outdoor show. Uh, they will be at booth 4707, uh, in the outfitter hall also on Friday, February 10th. Uh, they're going to be going to be at the Appala- uh, Appalachian brewing company after the outdoor show for a backyard bash with a special guest uh the bha president and ceo lantani will be there to speak so if you want to find out more uh details and a link for the event so that you can rsvp so they kind of know how many people are coming you can check them out on facebook and instagram as well or you can just go to backcountryhunters.org slash pennsylvania and that'll get you in the right spot to uh Get all the deets for what they have coming up. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. Have a killer show for you guys today. Have my buddy Jace Allen on from Missouri. So I had him on, I want to say, it was probably late summer sometime. It was right, right before the season opened. Um, you know, because he had a hell of a year last year, um, I guess 2021, where he killed three bucks, hammer bucks. And we talked a little bit about on that show. He didn't divulge a lot of the details because it was kind of still think coming to kind of into focus, if you will. But he was really going to try to take as much time off this past fall and hunt as much as he possibly could. Like he basically wanted to hunt all fall from beginning of the season to the end of the season, wanted to travel to a couple different states. He had some goals for himself and, you know, he's passionate about whitetails and he wanted to see what it was like to just go out and do it and just that be your focus for three, four months, you know, out of the year. And uh, he learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, and it had, you know, a killer hunt, you know, very early in the season where he ended up killing a booner. And the story of how that kind of went down is pretty incredible considering the amount of pressure and the number of people who actually knew that that deer was around. Um, and the way he got it done is pretty, um, uh, is pretty effing cool if I'm being quite honest. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I got uh, a repeat offender on my buddy, Mr. Jace freaking Allen. So I put the F in there, man. How you feel about that? Feel okay? That feels pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Nice, man. How you been, buddy? Oh, not too bad. Just uh, trying to get over the the deer season blues, the end of deer season blues, that is. Yeah. Um, it's... uh. It's not going good so far, but we'll see if we, we'll see if we make it. Yeah, you need some therapy, maybe. You need treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Oh, that's awesome, man. So I always go through this phase of, uh, you know where I'm kind of looking for the end where I'm going like, Oh my God. Like I just like, cause every day, like I'll get up, you know, 
you know, not every day because, you know, with work and stuff like that, but on, but on days that I can get out, you know, mm-hmm. especially after I get back, you know, being a married guy, et cetera, et cetera. Once I get back from like any type of trip that I'm going to take during the rut. So usually like after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. it gets really hard for me to, to get out because not to my, like my wife's the coolest. Like if I want to go hunt, you know, as long as there's not like something that we've previously planned or whatever, you know, she, mm-hmm. does, she doesn't care. She's like, go hunt, do what you got to do. Cause she knows that's, you know, if not, I'm going to be a miserable SOB to be around, you know? So, right. but it's kind of like an unstated, I guess, rule in our marriage that we've had for years where it's just like, look, you get, you let me do what I need to do from like middle of September until like Thanksgiving. And after Thanksgiving, you know, I know Christmas is coming up and stuff like that. Like I'll become like a normal human and a normal husband again, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> And I'll, you know, family first and, you know, we'll do all that stuff. And like, and I, and I won't go hunt like every waking, you know, moment that I have free time or whatever. Right. And, and so there's always this like internal struggle for me of like when I have a free Saturday and I'm like, and I wake up and I'm like, oh man, I can go out and hunt today. I'm like, oh man, I should probably clean the gutters, man. I don't want to clean the gutters today. I want to go hunt, but I'm like, oh man, it's after Thanksgiving, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so then I end up like talking myself out of going, you know, probably, I'm probably better off for it, but uh, that's usually like my therapy, you know, is I'll start, I'll start tinkering with gear is what my therapy becomes. Like once I kind of realize my season is over, what do you, what do you anticipate kind of doing to kind of get yourself through like the, the deer season blues, as you call them? I mean, pretty much just try to, I don't know if you, I don't know if a guy could say like outrun that, you know, feeling or that depression or whatever, but basically just try to try to stay as, as busy as possible. That's, that's pretty much the, the game plan. Um, right. Other than that, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot. <laughs> right. I know when we were setting this up, I was like, Hey man, you know, when, when you want to get together and you're like, dude, I've got no life since deer season over, just call me. <laughs> please for love of god somebody talk to me about deer right <laughs> uh, that's, it's crazy though man because like you had you had an epic year just from an experience standpoint and mm-hmm. you know it's there are very few dudes you know and i'm i'm 100 honest about this i think my buddy chad and i've talked about this in the past there are some guys you know or a lot of guys will say you know deer hunting 365 24 7 365 right mm-hmm. and I'm honest with myself. I'm not one of those guys. You know, I, when I go out on a hunting, like when I'm going to go hunt, if I have a two week trip or a three week trip planned or whatever, I might take some days off in there, maybe wake up late a day or whatever the case is. But man, what my breaking point is for me personally is like 16 days straight. After that, it's like, I need, I need like a little break, a little reset, a couple of days, whatever. I'm not one of these guys that can go just do it day in and day out. But you, this year, like your past season, man, was, was crazy. So I'm just curious and we'll get into like more of the details of it, but like, what was your like longest run of days that you did this past year before have, before kind of calling a timeout? Mm, let's see the longest run of days that would have been November, the, um, November the 5th through December the 16th, I believe. Wow. That was my longest run. That's a stretch. That's hunting every day those days yeah that was that was hunting every day so there was some there was some travel in there because i hunted i I wasn't in the same place the whole time the right the longest span that i spent in one place in one time that was kentucky and that was that was 20 days 20 days um but that that stretch of time the first 
let's see, it was like the first month was just Missouri. And I didn't hunt in the same place because, you know, we have rifle season going on. And, you know, I go back home and, you know, hunt with my family and, right. you know, try to try to go away and, you know, hunt some of the year I've been, you know, hunting all year. And then in that stretch, I went to Nebraska um, trying to shoot a mule deer. And then I went back to Illinois um, yeah. for, for a couple of days. Right. Man, because I, I know the last time and people are probably like, what the hell are they talking about? Like all these consecutive days. but. The last time you were on when we were when we were talking, you know, for this upcoming season, you know, or the one that has just passed, you know, mm-hmm. you were planning, you know, to take like the most time off or, you know, do your most extensive hunting trip that you have have ever done, you know, and it yeah. was, you know, you were and I was stoked for you, man, because like that's, you know, I think anyone who has the opportunity to do that or as much time as they can take, you know, whatever you like to do, go do that thing as often as often as you can. Mm-hmm. And so. I think it's a thing that a lot of people think about, but don't necessarily like bring it to fruition, if you will. And so, right. so where did the idea or the plan or the plan come from to be like, you know what, I'm going to just hunt from September till the cows come home, essentially. You know, it, it started, um, actually at my, at my old nine to five job, just the, you know, the day in and and day out, you know, I go to, I go to work and I get home and, you know, like in the, in the winter time, you know, there's, you know, an hour of daylight left after, after work. And so, you know, after time change, you really don't get any time to hunt. So you gotta, you have a lot of time to think mm-hmm. and just sitting there, you know, in the office day in and day in and day out, it had me, had me thinking. And I had taken off like two years ago. I had taken off like all my vacation time and actually switched roles in that company to where I could hunt the evenings more. Mm-hmm. And then we actually got the turkey season and you know, I'd work, you know, seven o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the evening. And so that left me zero time to, you know, go, go chase around turkeys. So this, this thought in my head, you know, not only applied to just that, but just other things. And it was my, uh, my want basically to not be average. And the thought that came across my head is you can be the best at whatever it is in the world, but if you don't have the time, mm-hmm. all you're, all you're ever going to be is average. Yeah. And that's the thought that really, that really started that whole, that whole thing. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you know, I love, you know, deer hunting, you know, I've, gr- I've grown up deer hunting it's just like, what if, what if there was just one thing that you just absolutely just went after, just, you know, do or die, just, you know, put all your, put all your chips in that, in that pot, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just go all in. I'm like, it sounds great. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes, man, <clears throat> the, uh, the answers to the biggest questions sometimes are the simplest answers, right? Mm-hmm. Like. And, and you're so right whenever you, when you say you could be the best at anything and, and you'll never know really how good you are until you put the time in, yep. you know what I mean? That, that goes with hunting, running a business, like whatever the, yep. whatever the case it is, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, you know, I forget who I was talking to. I think it might've been Zach Farrenbaugh at one point. He and I mm-hmm. were, were talking and, and, um, I want to say it was maybe two years ago and, you know, and a lot of people have, will have kind of, um, or I won't say have, they'll suffer from 
expectations that are just unreasonable for themselves based mm. on their ability to have the time to achieve whatever the thing is. Right. Right. And we were talking about obviously deer hunting specifically, you know, and he gave an example and he was like, look, you know, deer hunting's, you know, his job, right. That's like with mm. the hunting public. That's, that's his job. He's like, in between being behind the camera and behind a bow, you know, now the one year they killed a bunch, this was, this was like the year they had kind of like an off year. He was like, yeah. you know, I think he said he was in the field, I think a hundred days, like in mm. total, right. Like between behind the camera and behind a bow for, I think yeah. it was for deer season. And he was like, I was part of two bucks being killed the whole season. Mm -hmm. He was yep. like, one I killed. He was like, and one I was filming when it killed. And he didn't count like the does and stuff that they shot. He's like, just two bucks. Right. You know, he was like, that's pretty normal. You know what yeah. I mean? He's like, you know, it's 2% of the time you're going to, you're going to win. You mm -hmm. know, and that 2% might not happen this year or next year. It might be the, you know, three years from now. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? You know, he was like, so people need to kind of think about that in context, not beat themselves up. It's like if they're not filling tags every single year, he's like, most people don't. You know, he's yeah. like, that's a reality of it. He's like, especially if you have five days, 10 days, whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. it's exponentially harder. So I'm yeah. just curious for you, man. Like, so you set this, you set this out where it's like, time is the, time is the thing I need more yep. of, right? I want to, I want to challenge myself. I want to see what, put all my chips in the middle and I need the time to do that. So when you were headed into this, like, what was your, what was your goal in general, or did you even think about it in terms of a goal, and were you just kind of going out to have an experience? Well, I mean, I always try to set some sort of goal. I think the last time I talked to you, my goal, <clears throat> my goal going into season, um, or at least I thought, um, was I wanted to shoot, um, was I wanted to shoot four bucks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fill, you know, fill four four buck tags. Didn't care where they were. Right. Um, you know, of a certain, of a certain class. Um, but that, uh, sorry, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. Can you rephrase that question? Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, when you headed into this, you know, this thing, you know, into this trip, you know, if, if, if you will, you yeah. know, did you have any kind of goal in your mind? Kind of like, you know, I want to accomplish this or were you oh. more just looking for the, the experience? Yeah. So like one, one thing that I always think about is like, okay, so there's, you know, however many months of deer season, mm -hmm. what, what part of the year do I know the least about? And I am going to put a heavy emphasis on that time of year. And last year it was, you know, I'll just be honest. Yeah. I'm not, I haven't hunted a whole lot in, you know, the month of November, you know, the rut, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of my life. Um, it's been, you know, a lot of early season, you know, in October stuff you know, and I, and I enjoy late season too, but like the rut, I just didn't have a lot of experience with. I didn't understand the phases. And, you know, that's one thing that I always try to work on is like, you know, work on my weak points mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's new. And I, you know, I love new, you know, right. you know, new stuff, you know, new experiences, um, you know, traveling different places, you know, getting to hunt, you know, new dirt, you know, places I've never, I've never been before. Right. Um, you know, learn about the whole, you know, month and month of November. That was kind of some general goals that I had that I had going in. Right. So, so when you got to that month of November, you know, we're, we're going to skip around a little bit here, but yeah, when you got to that month of November, what was it like, you know, based off of what you said, where it was like, you know, that, that didn't hunt it a whole lot, just historically, you know, mm -hmm. phases maybe weren't as clear to me that, that they maybe are to some, you know, some other folks or whatever. 
So when you mm. look back on that time period, what was it that you that you kind of learned, or what was the big kind of like you know aha or watershed moment, if you will? Well, I figured a guy needs to if he is going to start you know hunting during a rutcation. Mm-hmm. Um, November the fifth is actually kind of late to start that, mm-hmm. um, because I I did get the chance to hunt a couple of days while I was like you know working off and on, mm-hmm. you know like October the twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth, and I tell you what, those were some really really good days to be out in the field, you know, hearing from buddies and whatnot, and and I wasn't and I wasn't there, so that was like the first like oh okay, right. Like, you know, there's, you know, rut and, you know, cruising activity, you know, like pretty hardcore, you know, going on in late October. And I, I, I you know, I just didn't know that. Right. <laughs> there nice. was, there was one morning, like November the 1st, I'm almost to this, to this job site. And there's a, you know, a giant buck, you know, across the road, right in front of me chasing doe. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, dude, that, uh, that, that time period is always, you know, just in general, it seems like that's the, um, like that's the, that's the sweet spot, right? Like, Mm. like I've, I've also, I think it's also somewhat dependent in like the areas. Like I know for me, like the the one place I go to in in Kansas, like if you don't hunt any other day, you know, hard or whatever, if you will, uh, November 6th is the day that you don't want to miss. Right. And, and I've hunted that date two years in a row now and both days. I mean, this year on November 6th, dude, I saw 30, 30 deer. Jeez. And I don't, I think I might've saw like seven, eight bucks or something. I forget what it was, but it was like the most deer I'd ever seen in one day, not Jeez. sitting like a food source. Like I was like right. in a draw, you know what I uh-huh. mean? Like, um, and certainly the most bucks I've ever seen in like in one day, it was just, mm-hmm. it was just bananas, you mm-hmm. know? And then in certain areas, like, you know, around here, there's a particular place I like to hunt where it's like, man, October 18th, the day, two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Like I've had the deer I wanted to kill show up at that spot mm-hmm. on October 18th, just yeah, that spot. That's... You know what I mean? Right. So, man, so was, was most of this trip, were you solo on most of this or, or I shouldn't say trip cause I know you went all over, you went all over the place, but like this uh, past season was a lot of what you were doing. Was it solo or did you have any company, you know, along with you once in a while? Um, very, very seldom do, uh, do people come hunt with me like a, you know, if I'm going out hunting, I, it's very, it's very, very rare that I take somebody along with me. I think there was, there was one guy in Kentucky that sat in a, that sat in a tree with me this year. And I think that was about it. So it's all all pretty much solo now the the mule deer hunting in nebraska that was with that was with buddies okay now is that is that out of your your preference you just prefer to be prefer to be solo yeah that's that's my preference i mean i could i could go into that quite a bit but usually what i've noticed you know i'd i love my friends and all that um, <laughs> i love my friends uh, i hear i hear yeah, strong, I, love, I, love, I, love, <laughs> I hear a strong butt coming <laughs> but <laughs> Whenever, whenever you're out there and, you know, whether you, if you make a decision, whether it's right or wrong, it's not always going to be a hundred percent your decision. And it's really the times that you're wrong that you need to pay attention to, because if there's somebody else with you say like, 
it, you know, what, whatever happens, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a certain amount of blame. It's going to be shifted around, right. you know, whenever, whenever you're with another person, whenever you are by yourself hunting and you make a mistake, you know, it's your mistake. Mm-hmm. And then you can learn from, you know, your own, your own actions. Right basically that's interesting man i've never heard anybody kind of describe it like that like i i often i like to hunt solo as well like this year's trip to kansas was was solo my iowa trip was was solo and Mm -hmm. i liked it because i just was you know i didn't have anybody to cater to necessarily i wasn't worried about i'm supposed to meet so-and-so at this parking lot or i'm supposed you know what i mean like there was just there was Mm -hmm. none of that um and you're just kind of stuck with your own thoughts all the time you know, right. so you're just, and there's nothing else to do. So you're just constantly thinking about deer. Right. You know, um, but I will say, you know, on some of the trips that I've been on, like I got one buddy that I, that I do like to travel to, to hunt with my, my buddy, Chad, like he mm-hmm. and I do trips together and it's because we both like to hunt the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, our styles are very similar. So he is one guy that I will bounce stuff off of at night. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like when we get back, because we usually see things the same way. You know right. what I mean? And so I'll use it as like a gut check, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thing, but I can totally see where, you know, where at the end of the, you might look at it and be like, man, I was going to do this, but I, I was probably influenced by the conversation we had last night. And that probably just wasn't the right thing. Right. You know, and you know, sometimes that can, that can help, but you know, back to the, I guess kind of the main thing that I said. Yeah. That, you know, it just being your own, you know, figuring out your own, you know, process and your own, you know, way of, way of thinking and correcting that, you know, and changing that throughout time. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting, man. I I need to kind of go back and reflect on some of my solo hunts and see if I was more, if I was more in the game, if you will, Mm -hmm. on those, you know, than than maybe other trips. That's interesting. I I would like to think maybe I was, because maybe Mm -hmm. I was just a little bit more focused, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's almost this, uh, I don't know. I get this way where it's like, I'm willing to kind of get up and do more because I'm like, I don't want to go back and be like, yeah, you know, on that seven day hunt, I slept in like three days. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell my buddies that, you know what I mean? Um, Oh yeah. You know, it's raining. Like I ain't going to get up today. Like, no, you know, that's the hard part though too. It's like, you know, if you have someone with you, it's like, it's raining one morning, like hard. And you're like, Oh man, I'm asleep and nobody's going to know, you know what I mean? But you know, that's when you got to kind of get some uh, mental fortitude and just kind of power forward, I guess. Mm-hmm. And but, you know that what you said earlier, sorry, not to bounce yeah. way back, but what you said about like, you know, going like 16 days straight, um, you know, that's pretty much, you know, like a, like an upper limit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's something else I found this year for myself too, is I've never been able to hunt that many days. So I don't, I didn't even know what that was like. Hmm. And whenever I got today, it was either 15 or 16 in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Old boy was coming apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Old boy was coming apart. <laughs> yeah. It, things were, things were, uh, not at, not at ease up in the, up in the house. But whenever you do put yourself, yourself in a situation to where you're there by yourself, you know, sometimes, you know, you can, you know, you, it, it's interesting because you start, you start reaching out, you know, you start, you know, um, you know, reaching into the, into the cookie jar, you know, pulling out, you know, new things that, you know, you didn't even know were in there maybe, or, you know, maybe you call a friend, you know, for a little, um, 
you know, just like a little mental break or, you know, you go do this or you go do that. Well, whenever you're by yourself and this is, this is kind of some stuff that I, that I do enjoy, but like whenever you're by yourself and you're in it and you don't have anybody else to run to and, you know, you can't run away from the grind basically. Right. Like all that I could do, it was all I could do. I just had to turn around and face it. Yeah. And that's whenever things really started going right for me. Okay. That's interesting. So what was, so in the, at that, when you reached your, <laughs> so I'm glad to know that like that, that limit isn't just my limit. It feels like it might just be like a general, <laughs> a general, like uh, unraveling kind of point for, for, for a lot of folks. I think maybe. it is. Cause I've seen, I've seen, you know, other guys hunt that many days and day 14, 15, 16 is, those are, those are hard days. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. So, ahead. so I'm curious, what were, uh, what were some of the things, what was the unraveling? Like, wh- I guess what was unraveling and then what were the things you were having to kind of face to, and that was when start, things started going right. Mm, so like the, the main thing that was, that was going, that was going on is it's, you know, whenever you're in, you know, like my particular situation there, you know, you go for, you know, three days without, you know, seeing any of the deer that you're hunting and, you know, you start thinking of all these excuses, you know, to go to other places and, you know, uh, you know, scout new stuff, you know, try to hunt new deer. And I found myself wanting to do that a lot. And, but I had to tell myself, I had to tell myself no. And where things really went right is whenever whenever I made myself realize that I am not going anywhere until I find success here with one of these two deer that I'm chasing around. Right. And at that point, whenever I realized that I wasn't going anywhere, I wasn't doing anything else. There wasn't anything else to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so all I could do was, you know, just stay, you know, just stay in at that point. And, you know, the hunt got a lot more, um, a lot more enjoyful. Right. Yeah. That's that it, there is a, uh, a sense of relief might be one way to put it when you just make a decision and you're going to live within that decision. Mm-hmm. Right. It starts to kind of like, it starts to take away all the, the peripheral kind of distractions and things mm-hmm. that you might need to consider that aren't focused on that one thing, you know, right. And so I always kind of say, you know, kind of happens, it happens, Kansas is a little bit of a different animal because you can kind of drive in glass, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I would leave certain spots maybe for part of a day and just drive and see if maybe I saw like a, a hammer out in the middle of a CRP field that I could go stalk, you know what I mean? But I would always kind of come back to this one area because the area I saw 30 deer the one day, I was like, I had an encounter with a hammer, you know, like a, like the reason why you go to Kansas. Right. And I knew he was in the area and, and my whole thing was, I was like, I'm not leaving deer to find deer. I'll drive yep. around. And if an opportunity pops up while I'm driving and glassing, then, you know, I'm not going to be stubborn. I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll take the opportunity, but yeah. my bread's going to be buttered in this particular area. And I know it, you yep. know, and so I'm, I'm going to focus on, on this. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's one thing that we always, even, you know, where I was in Idaho this year, it's like we, we were, we knew where elk were, we just weren't seeing them. We were in Northern Idaho. So you, it's not like you're glassing a ton. So it's almost like still hunting elk. Yeah. Um, 
but we were around elk every day. And so we were always like, look, we know there's a herd here. We keep, see- we keep hearing them. We can smell them, you know, and we're not leaving elk to find elk, you know, cause we right. we're at least are in them. You yeah. know, I think it's a lot of times too, like what guys need to kind of like double down on is, you know, grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, yeah. a lot of times there ain't even any grass. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, oh yeah. But uh, how, so, dude? How many days was this trip, in, or how many days was this in total of like hunting? Like, I know you had some like travel days and stuff like that. But from start to finish, what? Because people are hearing us talk about like day sixteen, day whatever. I want to give them context into as to how many days you were actually like a field and you know or traveling to and from. Uh, I didn't include travel days, but days I hunted, I got 97. 97. Jeez, man. Yes. That's a ton. And so, man, you could probably throw on another, probably three weeks of travel, like a, probably another 20 days of travel. Oh, geez. I mean, from the times I drive from, you know, Missouri out to Illinois to go hunt, you know, you know, it just, you know, a weekend or something like that. You know, if I was working like, you know, a bunch of December. Right. Um, you know, yeah, there was, there was a lot of travel days that's right. for sure. So what all States did you make it to? So, um, Missouri, or I guess it went Kentucky, Missouri, Illinois, and Nebraska. Okay. And was it, uh, so it's all white toe, but you said mule deer in Nebraska. Yeah. Mule deer in Nebraska. Right. I was, was really close to not going, but, um, I had made a, I had made a promise to some of my friends that I was going to go. Right. Um, I was I was hot on a deer in Illinois, but you know that 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 is what it is. Right, right. I, I had a I had a phenomenal time out there. It was it was fun. Was that your uh Was that your first mule deer hunt? Yes. So what was that What was that experience like? Um, it uh, let's see. So I'm I'm more used to like spotting and spotting and stalking, like in in Missouri. Mm-hmm you know, if, if I do, you know, do something like that. And the thing that probably got me the most out there was the, the country that these, that these deer were living in and how like small it kind of seemed. But then whenever you actually get in there, like that country was huge. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) And you think, you think, you know, you know, what's over the top of that ridge or even if that is the top of the ridge. <laughs> right. That's the big thing there. Yeah. 100%. But you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you don't. <laughs> that's exactly um, it. And then like beyond that, just kind of uh, like the whole aspect of stalking, stalking, you know, game in that country was yeah. far different from what I, from what I thought it, it was. Right. Um yeah, I I remember, I mean, first time when I went to, again, when I went to Kansas, I mean, the ter- terrain's not terribly different from, from the two, mm-hmm. you know, um, between Kansas and, especially if you're in like Western Kansas, between that and Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I always kind of had in my mind that, man, you can see for forever, you yeah. know, but when I got there, I was like, man, there's a lot more rolling to this terrain than I had thought. And you, it wasn't like getting out on a perch in South, you know, Western Montana where I could see five miles, you know right. what I mean? Like it wasn't like that at all. Like the glassing was a lot more limited than I had thought. You could still find good spots, the glass, don't get me wrong, but it right. wasn't like, Oh, I can just pull up anywhere and I'll see three miles or two miles or whatever. Like right. It just wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And the, I'd be curious if like you had this experience, but like what blew me away is like, I'd, I would, be glass and I'd see 
you know, a couple bucks or a couple deer or whatever. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And if they were in the Milo, dude, like they would just vanish like in out of thin air. Like you'd see them all of a sudden and they'd be gone, you know? And even in like CRP, I'd be watching them. It looked like this terrain was flat and I'm yeah. watching them. I'm like, oh, they're going to pop out over here. And I'd be watching them have the glass on and like out of nowhere, they would just vanish. And they just be gone. You know, and you're like, yeah. how the hell did that happen? You're like watching for like a half hour, then like a half hour later, they come out. Now they're standing 300 yards to your left. Right. You know, and you're like, what the hell just happened? You know, it's like, oh, that's the same deer. And right. then when you walk up onto that, that terrain or to that area, like what you start finding is like, there's these like small little, like, I don't even call them ditches, but just like low areas that they'll mm-hmm. get into to where like they just get down low enough to where you can't see them anymore. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just, it might only be two or three feet and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's that's, like, that's actually what I ran into in Kentucky a lot. More, oh, really? more so. Yeah. More so than Nebraska hmm. is we weren't, we weren't anywhere with like had, that had any vegetation that was that tall mm-hmm. in Nebraska. Like the main challenge there was like getting yourself in position to where you're actually like doing like, you know, like the, like the really slow stalking like that whole time i was out there I, I never i never put myself in a good enough position to like you know okay you know we just got close you know 30 more yards and we can take a shot right i i never even made it that far and i thought that was going to be the easy part right <laughs> you know so why was that the hardest part was it just the, the amount of ground you would have to cover between you and that particular that particular setup yeah and i mean there was there was quite a few deer in the area. I know there was one time, um, you know, there was some deer that were busted, you know, in between, you know, us and, you know, the, the big, you know, herd that the, that the main buck that we were hunting was in mm-hmm. and, you know, they just take them, you know, off, you know, and, and blow them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the country there was like, was like kind of rolly mm-hmm. and, the wind was like not not that great either and so just getting like just getting getting less than 100 yards seemed like it was uh you know mm-hmm. a, you know a, a pretty a pretty big challenge and you know that's coming from you know somebody that's you know very inexperienced at at all this right right no i, I 100% agree man like I, i've gotten I'll say I've gotten lucky <laughs> in Kansas on a couple setups where it's mm. I have gotten close and it was more it wasn't stalking necessarily. Um it was more kind of watching for a day or two. Very similar mm. to what you do kind of in general. I know the last time we talked, like I know you do a lot of observation, you mm. know, and, and just kind of and then pick your moments, you know, and and you know, kind of set up an ambush, you know, kind of set right. or whatever. Mm. You know, um, and I mean, I did, I mean, I guess Chad and I, the first year we stalked one to like within 50 yards, but we didn't realize it was, we thought we knew where it was bedded and then we rattled and had a, uh, a decoy on this for whitetails. Actually, we, we were actually seeing mule deer too in this unit actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, had one bedded 
and we thought he must have slipped out the back of this draw and we didn't see him. So yeah. after, you know, however long we spent kind of rattling and decoying trying to get him trying to get him to, to, to come out, we just decided to walk into this draw and uh when we walked in we kicked him up and he jumped out of the bed right where we thought he was bedded. Like he was exactly mm-hmm. where we thought he was. And that was yeah. just inexperience on our part. Like we should have just sat there pretty much all day until we would have seen him because he would have had to get up to take a leak within probably like two hours. Right. You know, or stretch or something where we would have saw mm-hmm. him. And then we would have known like, oh, okay, he's bedded here. Let's go ahead. The wind's doing this. We can make a play on the opposite side or or whatever. Mm-hmm. But most of my like close encounters out there have come on watching for like a day or two days and seeing what they want to do and then going, okay, mm-hmm. I need to be here because this is what they want to do. And yep. then, you know, getting within, you know, 20 yards or whatever the case is. But Right. So, man, what uh, – what what was the so aside from Nebraska? Well, let me ask you this because you were talking about how big the country hunts out there. So kind of kind of explain that for people because I know I think I know what you're talking about. But what do you mean by it? it you don't think it hunts that big, but when you get there, it hunts huge. Man, that's a hard one to put into words. It's like man, it's like I, I don't even know like how you would how are you like how you would explain that without like actually being there and like right ex- experiencing it it's like imagine imagine you have a clear you know p- clear as day you know view of a buck you know he's just a couple hundred yards over there and you count like three ridges over it's like all right there's one two three ridges all right let's go over there and you know and we'll pop up here and you know we'll we'll see where he's where he's at and then you walk for a lot longer than you think (laughs) and then you get over to where you thought the deer was and you're like this does not look the same not even close it's like where were we at were we over there it's like no we were over on that ridge it's like so where are we at now i don't know (laughs) (laughs) that's that's about the best that i could explain it (laughs) yeah that's i think that's a perfect way to explain it actually it's I think for in, in I, I kind of get what you're saying. My experience was just a, was a little bit different, and it was more around like the draws and stuff like that out there, mm-hmm. out, out in that air, general area. How much deeper they were than I thought, right? Because you know, that was that to me. It's like, it, and not just that, but just like the vastness of just like the open area. Like there's right. a handful, there's a handful of setups that you might have potentially or whatever, but it's just it's very. Um, it's very deceiving when you, when you look right. at it, you think like, Oh, deer could only be here. Like that was my experience right. for Kansas. Like deer could only be here. Like this is the only place they would want to bed. Like this is the only mm-hmm. little chunk of timber, but it's like, Nope, they're, they're huddled up out there in the middle of that CRP field, in the middle of nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's yep. like, well, why would they be there? You know? Right. And that was the thing. I think that I had to change kind of my perspective on how to hunt open country really quick was and places that I usually typically would think like there can't possibly be any deer in there. That's probably where they're at. Yep. You know? Um, and for that reason, I started predominantly hunting places that just didn't have any trees. Yeah. Cause people would, that's where people would want to go. Cause they want to get into a tree stand or whatever. And so yep. I just got comfortable with just being on the ground all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hunting that way. And that was that's- when I started seeing deer and having encounters and stuff like that was just being on the ground. Yeah, that's the same thing that happened to me in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. So, what was the uh, what were some of the hardest, I guess, or most challenging aspects of like this whole season? 
I would have to think that. See, I'm gonna back up just a little bit and like back to like my general goals of the season. Like I wanted yeah. to, you know, shoot, you know, four bucks. Well, after I shot that first one in in Kentucky, um, I thought, you know, this was a this was a really good opportunity to, you know, track down and, and find, you know, possibly a, a, another Boone and Crockett. Mm-hmm. And so that way I could have, you know, two years where I've shot, you know, two deer of that class. Right. Um, the hardest thing was actually finding one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do this on my, on my post the other day, but it comes back to, you know, the whole, use of of trail cameras because i've never i've never used trail cameras um That's right yeah in this in this last year um i i almost did fulfill that goal and the only reason is because it was you know because of my friend's trail camera right you know they got they got pictures of this of this deer and it's like you know i can i can scout all that i want to and you know i'm I'm confident that I can go out, I can scout, and I could find um an area where a four four plus you know year old deer is living, mm-hmm. but I have no idea what they have on their head right and the only way you're gonna get you know a look to see what they have on their head is if you actually get you know a physical sighting or a picture of them right that's the only way, and so there was a lot of like especially like in in uh illinois and missouri late season there was a lot of searching mm. um and i imagine some of it was and it, i kind of started to realize this towards the end it's like a lot of this is just kind of kind of fruitless because you know at the at the end of the day unless i'm here hunting and see this animal i really don't know you know what they have on their head and and, you know, whenever you're trying to specifically, you know, go after and try to kill these deer, you know, you need to know where one's at, you know, you need that knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was one of the hardest things that, that I came across, you know, I'll say in, you know, the second part of, of season. Right. So do you, do you think you'll start to, will you personally start to use truck cameras like after, you know, knowing that, you know, your buddy's truck camera, you know, was able to kind of give you at least like the knowledge that a deer that you were interested in, you know, was in the area when you were looking for a specific deer. Yeah. I mean, if I want to have the, if I want to have those goals, mm-hmm. then I, I almost have to, right. You know, I can, it, I, it, it's not necessary for Missouri early season because I have all summer to, you know, scout and, you know, find that, find that deer throughout the summer that I want to go chase. Right. But if I want to chase one later on the season, then I don't, I don't think I have a choice. Right. So it sounds like maybe your trail camera strategy might be one of just like post rut. Yeah. I mean, right. To where it's like you use the early season to kind of, you know, glass, figure out where one's at, maybe find mm -hmm. the sign, you know, it's like, Hey, this looks like a, four or five year old deer or four plus year old deer is living in here. Let's see if we can't glass him up, lay a visual yeah. on him to see what caliber he is, you know, mm-hmm. and that your trail camera strategy is really just focused on the areas that you're going to hunt potentially for late season. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, very... <clears throat> go ahead. 
I, I was I was gonna say, you know, it, it, it that very well could be the could be the case, you know, where where it ends up where it ends up being for me. But I, it's it's hard saying what I'm what I'm going to do because I'm gonna have to think. It's like, do I want to have these, you know, really high goals and have to you know do something like that, or you know, do I do I keep on you know doing what I was doing, which you know, to me, an average buck in Missouri, if it's four years old, it's probably gonna be one forty. Right. Um, or do I just, you know, keep on, you know, chasing after that class of deer and then, you know, every once in a blue moon, you know, I do have a, you know, a Boone and Crockett class deer, you know, you know, come by me. Right. Um, do yeah. you, would it personally, not for other people, cause I'm, you know, people can do what they want to do. I use, I use truck cameras for me. It is mm-hmm. a, a say, a savings of time. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, how I do it being a working Dude, yeah. like everybody else, have so many, but so many days. Now it's different when I go out of state because most of the time I don't have cameras out of state. You know, unless mm-hmm. unless it's maybe Ohio where I have some friends, you know, that will run some cameras for me or whatever. Uh, my next trip to Iowa, I've got some buddies out there. I can get some cameras out and and have them mm-hmm. run them for me, and they'll check them and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um. But typically, whenever I'm going out of state, other than you know, really those two places, you know, it's it's really just kind of whatever I can get done within like 10, 14 days, however long I'm going to be there. Um, yeah. Uh, scouting and, and pounding the, uh, pound the pavement. But yeah. I mean, do you think, do you think, would it be worth your while? Just cause I know that like when I read your post, like you talked about time and time being money, which was like, Oh, so true. And time is a very yeah. expensive commodity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Expensive. And, uh, and so I was just curious if maybe, you know, your mind would change about using those just generally speaking, you know, based on that, or do you feel like Missouri, like early season, like places where you have, you know, more knowledge or whatever, would it cheapen the experience for you personally? It would, I feel like it, in Missouri, it would possibly cheapen that experience, mm-hmm. you know, for me. Well, I, I guess when you say cheapen, um, like it would save me, a lot of time, which like we just said is money. Right. Um, if I were to run, you know, like trail cameras out of state mm-hmm. because I, I can't, you know, be there all the time. You know, I don't have that intimate knowledge, you know, of, you know, all the deer and, you know, how old they are and, you know, all, all that good stuff out right. of state. So. Right. When I say cheap in the experience, so what I was more referring to, would it lessen how you felt about the experience using a trail camera versus how you feel about the experience when you don't use one. See, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if it's, if it's something like, I guess it would depend on the situation. Like, you know, it, you know, how everybody get gets up in arms, you know, whenever somebody posts a picture on social media, it's like, yeah, I had this deer, you know, daylighting on you know my cell cam for like the last you know five days you know i went and shot him right it it would cheapen the experience there but if it's just knowledge that a deer is there Mm -hmm. then i no it it wouldn't i mean it it didn't in kentucky you know it was it was other people's trail cameras you know that's the reason that deer died right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how do they feel about that <laughs> <laughs> seemingly happy for me <laughs> seemingly happy <laughs> oh, that's awesome that's awesome no i mean it's interesting man because there's there's this whole debate around cell cameras 
you know, now I've seen it kind of flying around. I think it's one of those things that pops up every post season or every off season because I don't know, people need something to talk about. And so they, you know, they start debating, you know, um, the, I guess the appropriateness of cell cameras. And I guess there's one soon that might be releasing. I don't know if it has released or if it's going to, or whatever the case is that can stream actually. So whenever a picture is sent, you know, supposedly or hypothetically to your phone or to an app that's on your phone, whatever the case is, you know, you can click on that picture and get a live stream of what the camera is seeing. So you, really? can, so you can watch that. If there's a buck that's there, you can now turn it on and be like watching a YouTube video. You know, it's like I can now watch for however long that deer is going to be in front of the, in front of the, the camera, essentially. Yeah. You know, and people are like, well, does that, you know, is that too far? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what the difference is between getting a picture, you know, or a video via cell right. versus like if someone just wants to sit at their computer and watch it for an hour, you know, cause they want to watch the deer or watch the camera. Like, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, any tool in the hands of the wrong person can be misused. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and so, mm-hmm. you know, me having, so the difference between me having a live stream of a, of a camera and someone who would, you know, put out bait in live stream and go kill, try to kill a deer as it's leaving that corn pile or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like we're going to use it in two different ways, potentially. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I, I don't know if that's, if that's too far, you know, I, I'm kind of of the mind, like, technology i don't think is going to go anywhere right um, you know is there a limit i think yeah there should be limits to how we are allowed to use them you know mm-hmm. what i mean but it's the same thing like in places in pa if you have private property you can you can put out you know as long as you're not in an area that has cwd and, and stuff like that you can put out like salt lick mineral licks and stuff like that and you can put a camera mm-hmm. on it and get all the inventory you want now when the season opens 30 days before the season you have to i think it's 30 days or might be 90 days um, but X amount of days before the season, you have to remove that mineral lick. And if there are remnants on the ground, you got to remove the soil or you can't hunt within, but such a distance around that area. Like, and right. I don't remember exactly what the laws, but just, just say for the purpose of conversation, it's 200 yards, Yeah, you know, or if you hunt any closer than that, it's, it's illegal. You, you're still considered right. baiting, right? Yeah. Well, I guarantee you there's people that pull out their mineral blocks and then still hunt that within 20 yards of where that mineral block was. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, you know, just because you have the rule doesn't mean everyone is going to follow it. It's like, right. it's like locks on doors. You know, it, it keeps honest people honest. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The person who intends to rob you is going to rob you regardless whether they had to get through the lock or not. Right. You know? So I don't know, man, what do you, what do you think? Like, do you think the technology is getting a little too, a little too far or do you, or you kind of have the same mind where, you know, bad people are going to do bad things. Good people are going to do good things. Yeah. I mean, it, I have a couple of thoughts when it comes to that. It's just like one, you know, just like the, you know, the post I made the other day, you know, is that just the world we live in now? You yeah. know, am I fighting this, you know, pointless battle, you know, try to, you know, find and, you know, scout and just, you know, have the woodsmanship skills to, you mm-hmm. know, enough to find, you know, the deer that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm you know is that is that unrealistic you know is this you know the technology age you know cell cameras and whatnot is that just the is that just the world we live in or you know or, or is there actually an there is there actually a process to be perfected out there to where i actually can find these deer 
I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, t- it's tough, man. You know what I mean? It, Cause like, right. I, you know, I, I enjoy trail cameras and I, and I use some cell cameras and most of them are in places that are like, that are hard to get to, you know, either, mm-hmm. well, there's basically three criteria that I have for setting up a cell camera. One, mm-hmm. it's got to be a place that's really, really hard to get to where I'm not going to be able to check it, you know, uh, very easily, or it's in a really sensitive area where I don't want to go in unless I'm going to hunt. Right. You know, and the other, other kind of one is, is that it's a far drive for me to get to where it's just literally like, I don't have the time to go check the camera cause it's too far right. away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It might be in like a piece. It's like two hours away that I like to hunt, but I want to know if there's a, it, like when a scrape heats up, cause I know, Ooh, Couple of those are starting to hit it. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm off on Saturday, I'm going to be up there. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm not really using any of it in real time. You know, I can't. Right. You know, mm-hmm. but it's just it'd be the equivalent of me being able to check the trail camera. You know what I mean? Right. Without mm-hmm. you know impacting the area. Right. You know, where it gets fuzzy for me is you know if a guy's got a lease, you know, or is back forty and he's working from home, you know, and gets a ping on his cell camera hits his phone and he's like oh man that deer's headed right toward that draw that's uh 200 yards out my back door let me throw my coat on real quick and grab my bow right you know that to me then is kind of like come on dude you know like you right. didn't even that wasn't hunting mm-hmm. you know and so i think there's a fine balance between it because like i appreciate the woodsmanship and that's why i like to spend time in the woods every every off season I try to sharpen myself mm-hmm. you know right and i don't want to lose that you know, right. but at the same time, I recognize I'm a working guy like everybody else. And I would like to save some time, you know? Right. So, yeah. and you know, I, I, it, it is concerning, you know, for like, you know, like kids growing up and, you know, the hunting yeah. community today, you know, they get all this, you know, all this shit thrown at them, you know, cell cams is one of them. And whenever somebody is, you know, going through the process of learning hunting and they have that, and they base their whole, you know, process their way of thinking around, you know, this trail camera. Yeah. If for for some reason someday, it, you know, I know there's been you know talk like you know, it ban all the you know cell cameras or or whatever. You know, if that if that does go away, and that's a, that's all that guy knows, mm-hmm. then what was he left with? Yeah, not much. Not not much. Yeah. And it's just you know, I would. I would like to see somebody, you know, growing up in hunting, you know, learn to hunt without, you know, the use of, you know, cell cameras or trail cameras or or whatever, and then start to incorporate them, you know, into their, into their hunting late, later on. Um, you know, maybe that's a fantasy world, but. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the way I always kind of talk about it and, and even my buddy Chad, who owns, you know, Exodus Outdoor Gear, he owns a trail camera company. He's always like, these should be, these should be a tool, yep. not your strategy. Like mm-hmm. they shouldn't be your, stra- your strategy for hunting. They should inform it. They can mm-hmm. certainly inform it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it should just be looked at as another tool in your arsenal you right. know, that supplements your woodsmanship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You still need to know the changing food sources. You still need right. to know what wind that deer wants to use or how they're, how they're using the wind. You still need to know the different cycles of their season. You know, it's like all those things you should still know 
this should just help tell you that there is either a deer that you're looking for or the deer mm-hmm. that you that you know is around but you don't know if he's alive or whatever the case is right right like he always and that's kind of how i look at them too is like these are these are tools to be used and, and i think too often what you're kind of talking about and i agree with you is that people will begin to use them as a crutch mm-hmm. they'll solely make a decision as to whether or not they're going to go hunt you know what i mean on um you know other like having deer on trail camera Right. You know what I mean? Where it's like, well, it's only seeing like, it's only seeing part of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like there could be, there could be deer there. You know, mm-hmm. you just, you're only getting a glimpse. Right. Know? And so. you know, that's, that's something I saw with, you know, cell cams, you know, down in Kentucky and, you know, here in, here in Missouri is it's, you know, getting a, a byproduct from real time information is there's no way that you can get a real time picture of a deer, you know, on your trail camera and it not influence your process, your, you know, your thinking process in some mm-hmm. way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's, that's another thing that makes it, you know, yeah. difficult. Because yeah. I it, found, I found myself I, being, being baited by that when I first started using them, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it would influence like where I might hunt on a given day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As opposed to me going like the wind's right for this spot. This is where I need to be. All the sign mm-hmm. I saw was here, yep. you know? Yep. So what I started doing was I, I only let it upload to my phone one time a day, mm-hmm. like at the end yep. of the, at the end of the night, or I think it's like, like midnight or something like that. Yeah. That way I'm not getting like the midday, like, Oh man, yeah, I should be over here. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not even being tempted in that way for it to change my mind about what my strategy was based on all the things that I knew previously. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so, so man, with this, uh, this voyage that you went on, dude, would you, uh, would you do it again after, you know, all these experiences? Is it something you would, uh, you would hundred percent do it, do it again? Oh, I'm going to do it more, even more so next year. Yeah. <laughs> nice. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> you're like, man, I want to go full on insane, like 20, 30 days straight this time. Start talking to birds. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, after, you know, after that 16, you know, 70, 17 day period where everything was, you know, going to shit. And then, you know, I was able to bring myself back. Right. That makes me think, you know, well, what's, what's 30 days like? Right. Maybe you know? <laughs> let's, let's taste that real quick. <laughs> let's give that a taste. You know, what's, what's, what's 40 days like, you know, mm. hunting one deer. Oh my God, dude. I don't you know, know if what, I can do it. What's that like? I don't know either. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I could do it. You know, that would be a, it better be, it'd have to be a hell of a deer. Put it that way. You know what I mean? Like, we'll just, we'll just say that. But uh, the, uh, so would you, you know, we're going to talk about your Kentucky bucks. I want to, I want to get into that here in a second, but Mm -hmm. would you consider the experience overall that you had, uh, you know, looking back on it, would you, would you consider it a a, uh, success? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I got to, I got to spend time out in the woods and, uh, you know, I got to do, I got to do a lot of, a lot of learning. Um, you know, that's, that's another thing I realized with, you know, chasing around, um, you know, bigger deer is ultimately your success rate goes down, Mm -hmm. but the time that you get, get to spend out in the field is a lot greater. Oh man. Yeah. That, that was for me, you know, and I've told this story different times on this podcast and others but you know one of the biggest takeaways for me whenever i was in iowa because when i went to iowa i think i was there for 16 days i think and i killed Mm -hmm. my buck on the 16th day like 
four yeah. four thirty on the last day. I love that. Yeah, after I <laughs> after I'd missed a pretty good one two different times, <laughs> which like <laughs> chapped my ass. Still does. I'm not I'm not bitter about it at all. You can tell. <laughs> but uh, and and in hindsight, you know, one of the things I always kind of thought about with that trip, looking back on it, because I think the when I missed that big one the first time, I think it was like day five or six. And I was like, man, I would have cheated myself out of like 10 more days of just learning because, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania and, you know, if you, if you encounter a mature deer, not kill, but if you encounter a mature deer in some areas, not all areas, but if you encounter a mature deer in a lot of areas in in Pennsylvania, like that's a good season, even if you don't kill it. Like if Mm -hmm. you see within bow range ish, a mature deer, like that's, that's a good year because they're just we don't have a lot of four and a half five and a half year old deer running around like we just right. just don't we have them in pockets but they're mm-hmm. not but they're not everywhere you know right um and uh and so with that it's like to learn what mature deer do or how mature deer act like you know you need to see them yep. right and so while i was in iowa you know i was seeing mature deer almost every day either mm-hmm. within relatively close range or from a distance you know and able just to spend time around mature deer watching them do mature buck things. Yep. And the way I always kind of described it was, is I was like, man, I got a master's class for two weeks on what mature bucks do. Cause I saw more of them in that two week trip than I would see in probably five seasons combined in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I was like, there was no better teacher than watching a deer, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so for, for me, it's like, that was just the, you know, you know, worth the price of admission. I can't imagine the amount of time you spend a field, like just like all the, like even the things you don't realize that you learned that you picked up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and you know, two years ago, that's, that's something uh, that probably had, you know, something to do with why I wanted to spend so much time out in the field. You know, this, this past season is because two years ago I shot three bucks and I, I only hunted 20 days it's like other aside from shooting those three deer, like what did I learn? Right. I was like, I had not, like basically nothing. Right. Man, that's the one thing I always appreciate about talking with you, man, is just like your, your interest in, in learning. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of, from the last time we spoke and like in this time, like I almost get the sense that you, no, don't get me wrong. I know you like to fill tags, but yeah, that notwithstanding, it's like, I almost feel like you like, the learning process as much, maybe even more than the actual releasing of the arrow. I think that is true. Yeah. And it's a common theme with like a lot of guys that I have on the show who are, who I consider to be killers. Mm. You know what I mean? That's like, that's the thing that they look for. It's like, how am I, what am I learning next? What's the yeah. next thing? You know? Mm. And it's just that constant kind of search for evolution. I think is, right. the, is what makes you and guys like you, you know, good at, good at, you know, wrapping tags around deer essentially yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah you know there was this one um eight pointer while i was while i was hunting down there in kentucky i mean this was a you know a very mature you know 150 inch eight pointer and i i passed him one time but i saw that deer like every single day i was down there and i learned so much from watching that one deer like day in and day out because he was always there mm-hmm. and it just it was so it was so thrilling especially getting to see deer do new things that like you didn't even like mm-hmm. d- didn't even come across my mind mm-hmm. you know before 
and then I get to watch this thing. It's like, it's like if I go shoot this eight pointer right now, it's over. Yeah. You know, I, I don't get to, you know, I don't get to learn anymore. You know, the learning curve stops and, you know, and I pack up and, you know, I go home and I didn't, you know, I no, don't get me wrong under any normal circumstances. <laughs> I would have shot that deer. Right. How many uh, days, how many days do you see him? Oh, shoot. Um, pretty sure it had to have been like 10 plus days. Jeez, man. On day three, he had been dead. I, I, I would have been like <laughs> learning. I've learned enough. Dude, I'm good. Dude, it was, <laughs> it was day 18. I think it was, it was later on in the trip. Mm-hmm. It's like day. Yeah. I think it would have had to have been 18, maybe 19. Um, this was one of the only times that I actually saw a deer standing up like while it was, you know, still daylight out because other than that one time, every other time these bucks were bedded down before, Mm -hmm. before daylight. Mm -hmm. And then they'd get up sometime in the morning. That's when I'd see them. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one time that, um, I saw this deer out in the field and I didn't know what deer it was because his cage was the same size as the other deer I was chasing. Mm And I'm like, I'm like, crap. I'm like, he's in a really good spot to do a stalk. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to have to put a stalk on this deer. Cause I don't know which one it is. Well, right. I go ahead and stalk the deer and at eight 30, the thing stands up, you know, 40 yards wide open. And it went through my head right then. It's like, all right, well, it's not the deer I'm, I'm chasing. And the deer, that eight pointer, you know, lays back down. And all of a sudden, then I had this whole fit in my head for the rest of the day. It's like, Oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, I could totally just sit right here and kill this thing in the next few hours. Right. And I just, I had to make myself leave. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, that's a great experience and great story just in general right there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like as far as like stalking him and like the whole, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Right. You know, from an experience standpoint, but mm-hmm. so, man, I want to, since we're talking about Kentucky, I want to, I want to kind of transition over to, um, to this deer. Well, first, before we get, get there, how many tags did you end up filling on the trip? I know you, I know Kentucky you filled. Uh, just, I filled one tag. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're, yeah. so we're, so we're going to talk about that buck. So when you got there, you know, you, you talked about earlier, I think it was like 27 days straight or, or 27 days hunting in, in Kentucky or something to that, um, that effect. How long did it take you to find the particular deer that you, that you ended up killing? And, and did you go into it kind of chasing so, a Boone and Crockett deer to, to begin with, or, or did this deer just kind of uh, reveal himself, if you will? So this was a interesting kind of situation. I, I got a, I got an invite from a guy over social media. So I knew that that deer was down there mm-hmm. already. Now I didn't hop into it right away. You know, that, that area that deer was in, because, you know, I knew that that guy, you know, he was going to be chasing them, you know, pretty hard. There was, there was really two main deer down there and they're both, you know, relatively in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I didn't want to jump in, you know, like right away, you know, I kind of wanted to do, uh, I wanted to go off and do my own thing for a couple of days because, you know, I didn't know, you know, what all the area had to offer. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any sort of pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I need to do first is I need to get, um, just the general pattern down, which took me, I think it was, it was like that at the end of day three, everything started to, you know, come together. Mm-hmm. And day four, I kind of sure, sure this up 
And that's when I went over to that area that these two deer were, were in. That's when I started hunting. Okay. Um, so what did you do to kind of like, let me first ask this question first. So yeah. had you hunted Kentucky for at all before or was this the first time? I had ne- never stepped foot in Kentucky okay. before, before opening day. Okay. That's what I thought. So, so when you say you spent like first three days, just kind of like trying to understand a pattern, like what were you looking for? Especially if you weren't really in the area that this deer was in, like what were you looking to learn that you could apply to this other area? So basically what I'm, what I'm looking for is, you know, what all, what all, you know, food sources are, are available, mm-hmm. whether that be crop, whether that be natural browse, um, you know, anything, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess other things I'd, I look for is like, um, you know, just like naturally, like I, I, I like to look for like overlooked spots. Mm-hmm. So while I'm doing the scouting, I'm also finding, you know, like backup areas and, you know, backup, you know, deer that I could, you know, potentially go to. Right. Um, I guess if you trying to think if there's like a specific thing that I said I was looking for, there wasn't really anything specific. Um, it's just more like what, what are the, uh, mature bucks doing? Mm-hmm. And, um, then I take that pattern and I, and I run with it. Okay. Got it. So you want to see a couple mature deer and go, all right, they're, they tend to do this. They're moving around this time yep. potentially. Right. So mm-hmm. all things being equal, you know, other mature deer in the area should be acting about the same as long as they're not getting extremely pressured or whatever right. the case is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so when was the first time? So you kind of spent some time sounded like three to like your fourth day when you kind of confirmed, you know, your, your pattern, when was the first time you actually laid eyes on this deer? And at this so, point, were you all in on this deer? Was it this deer or bust? Or were you still kind of on the fence at like, eh, maybe. So it was <clears throat> the, so the deer I actually end up shooting, I did not see him until the day I shot him. Hmm. He was shot on the third day of season by another hunter. Um, the guy actually ended up hitting him in the rack, and the deer was, to my knowledge, ghost. Mm-hmm. You know, until the day I until the day I shot him, the other deer was keeping me very much so company. And this was, this was a deer that was, you know, probably right there at Boone and Crockett as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really the deer that I spent, you know, all my time, you know, basically, um, chasing around, um, that deer, um, I saw him on like day five or something. Okay. And every so just to give you a little little context, I'll, I'll give you the pattern that I that I eventually found, and I've never found anything else like this. I hope it happens again, but I doubt it will. But <laughs> these deer were actually living in soybeans. Hmm. I have never seen soybeans this tall in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm talking like shoulder height. Jeez. Um. So these deer, they were just simply living out in the out in the soybeans so like the third day the third day of season i was uh i'd actually gone over and i was joining the the guys like you were saying earlier you know deer in wide open spaces you know not where you think they would be right 
and everybody that's hunting is hunting where there's trees. Yep. Well, I was joining that crew, but I always try to make a point to leave, you know, some sort of a, you know, try to get a kill sit and also do somewhat of an observation. Mm-hmm. And that night I, I parked my car. I walked through this patch of soybeans over to my tree and I could see my car from where I was sitting and, you know, 45 minutes before dark, or whatever, there was like this 140 inch eight pointer that stood up a hundred yards away from my car. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. This is what's going on. Right. <laughs> yeah, kind, of, kind of the same stuff and used to seeing in Missouri, you know, deer being really, you know, close to the roads, you know, not where there's, you know, where there's not any trees. Right. So the fourth day glassing, um, you know, first thing in the morning, I saw a couple bucks out in, out in the field and, you know, they're younger deer, but I saw them lay down. I'm like, okay, that's like for sure, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go over and I spend, I think it was like two days in this area. And cause there's, there's a bunch of guys that know about these deer and there's, there's a bunch of guy hunting them. I think I was the 10th or 11th guy to hunt these deer and this this other deer i think it was like i said day five or six or something like that whenever i saw him the first time and then other than that he was in this one soybean patch i was watching he was in that patch on average once every three days Hmm. um so that's what really kept me the the most um the most company there right was that deer kind of continually come back? So what day <clears throat> did dude shoot the like the big one in, in the rack? That was the third day of season. Third day. So are you thinking like I, I'm guessing you caught wind of that or someone told you that that happened? Yes. And mm-hmm. so were you thinking like yeah that deer's like like he ain't coming back like he's yeah I mean to you know everything that I knew you know it's like well you know that deer's you know not coming back you know he's he's gone. So he was, he was somewhat off the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figured if this deer was, was anywhere, he was living in this, uh, big patch of corn that was in that area as well. So, um, like my morning or my, my daily routine was I would sit at my glassing spot and this was some of that stuff I'm telling you about, you know, I was just really, really cool to, you know, see and learn. Yeah. Um, so generally how the day would go is I would get to my glassing spot and I normally wouldn't see anything stand up until probably eight o'clock in the morning. Okay. And then anywhere it depend on, on the day and, you know, the, on the moon phase and whatnot. But, uh, Sorry, I got another call coming through. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I got you. Good. Okay. Um, so I would I would sit there until eleven o'clock because there was days where these deer would be bedded down before daylight and they wouldn't even stand up until eleven o'clock mm-hmm. in the day. Wow. And that was that was on days where like the moon phase was better for evening activity. Mm-hmm. Um. But regardless, you know, I was always there until that time. And if this other deer was running around, um, I would go hunt him in the 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 
deer I actually ended up shooting, mm-hmm. there was a watering hole that was right next to the corn, and I passed up a bunch of, you know, a bunch of deer, you know, some decent bucks there. But that was kind of the daily, um, you know, in and out routine. So figuring out that they were kind of bedded in that soybean, or potentially even that, even the corn that was nearby. Like, what are you thinking as far as how you're going to set up to try to kill one of these bucks? Because that's I mean, that's a tricky situation, right? It's like, yeah, you want to be in the timber to hunt them. But if they have this, you know, this tall ass soybeans all around, they've got food. Mm-hmm. They don't really have a need to leave the soybeans if they really don't want to. You right. know what I mean? So and, it's like, what are you thinking yeah. as far as like to try to get a shot opportunity at one of these, one of these big ones? So I'll tell you that there's another issue with all this as, as well, but pretty much what what would happen is if you wanted to, you know, get in, you know, put a stock and get a shot on these deer is they would stand up usually somewhere, you know, like I said, around that eight thirty, you know, time frame in the morning. Mm-hmm. And this was right during the time that the day winds were picking up mm-hmm. and they were shifting their beds around sometimes for the wind, you know, sometimes they'd stand up, you know, look around and, you know, stretch out, you know, and just lay right back down. But once you have that siding um, and you have a good consistent wind, that's what I was talking about, the day winds, Yep. that's when you move in for your stock. And then usually by sometime right around 11 o'clock, they'd stand up again. And that's when you get your shot opportunity. Okay. Now, the problem with hunting deer when the soybeans are that tall is um, the no clear shooting lane to their vitals right so this other this other deer that i was chasing around over five encounters um i was within range of this deer for 15 plus hours Jeez, and i never got a shot on this deer because he never left soybeans that were lower than his eyeballs <laughs> yeah if he could see he was he thought he was in danger but if he couldn't see he thought he was safe but I could see his rack. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny, man. So, so how did the, uh, how did the hunt finally like eventually play out? Like where you got a shot at the, at the deer you ended up killing, like where was your setup and how did that all come to come together? So I had moved, um, as the last, the last, um, crack that I had at that, at that other deer, I was set up on them. I'd been sitting there out in that field for like eight hours, just getting blasted by the sun. Uh, really? and, yeah. Cause we're talking yeah, Kentucky in like early September. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was hot. Yeah. <laughs> and buggy. Um, yeah. Um, these, these other guys end up seeing these deer or seeing that deer and they put a stock on them. They saw me and, you know, make a long story short, you know, they started moving quicker towards where the deer was laying. So I did, and they bumped the deer, you know, past me. And, and, uh, I sat there for another four days. And at that fourth day, whenever that deer didn't come back, I figured the thing was gone. Right. And so, you know, it's time to start looking again. So I shift, shifted areas just a little bit, uh, maybe, you know, a couple hundred yards to where I could get a, a, uh, look at a, a different patch of beans mm-hmm. and honestly where all the where all the pressure was mm. um i had found this you know this is what i was talking about i like to set up for a kill set you know mm-hmm. plus an observation if i can right 
there was this uh there was this patch of trees in the in the corn that I had that I scouted one day and there's just hammered beds everywhere. And I'm like I'm like, okay, so you know, tomorrow morning, you know, I have like a north wind, which would be, you know, perfect for me to for me to hunt this. So I set up a stand and I also left, you know, uh, you know, a window to view out out in the beans. Mm-hmm. And so that next morning I got up there, there was a little bit of a cold front moving through. And I look out in the in the beans and there's a I can see like a couple does heads, you know, bobbing up. Um, and, uh, it was like seven thirty that morning. I look out in the field and I see this, I see this cage out there and I thought it was the other deer I was hunting at first, but I thought something looked kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And I threw the binos up and I was like, Oh boy. I was <laughs> like, I, I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> and other than other than that eight pointer that I just, you know, had in front of me, you know, just a couple of days before that, that was a really good situation to get a deer killed. This was the second best situation that I saw the whole time I was there. Mm. Um, he had beans going almost up to his back, which like I said, for there was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I watched the deer, I watched him until he laid back down and as soon as he laid back down, I made a couple, you know, mental notes, you know, I ranged it. I got on Onyx, you know, I tried to draw a line, you know, to where the deer was, you know, just to try to try to get as accurate as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got out of my tree, I ran back to my car and I drove around like 200, 250 yards to get a different angle on the deer. And then I went ahead and, and I put my stock, um, on this deer. And I got set up in my spot at about eight thirty in the morning. Hmm. And from my, you know, my wonderful math skills, I, th- I thought I was about 40 yards away from the deer. Right. I was a little, I was a little scared to get, you know, closer just because I knew I didn't know exactly where the thing was. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, okay, this deer's probably going to stand up, you know, somewhere right here around, you know, 11 o'clock. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking out in front of me, and all of a sudden I, I just catch this weird shape um, out to my right. And I look up and that deer, and that deer just stood up and he's at 29 yards. <laughs> A little closer than you thought. A little closer than I thought. <laughs> and uh, I had just looked at my phone right before that. It was like 10 59. Oh wow. <laughs> so he was like right on I was yeah, like right on time. Right on time. Yeah. Very nice of him. <laughs> um so So are you sitting in the middle of the beans at this point? You're in the beans. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm in the beans. Um so this deer, um, it's whenever they stand up, usually they'll look around, you know, check out their surroundings real quick mm-hmm. and then they'll kind of calm back down. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll start feeding, sometimes they'll lay back down. Well, he started feeding after standing there for a little bit. So what I did was I waited for his head to go down and start feeding. And then that gave me the opportunity to draw my bow and stand all the way up. And uh, like I said, even, even though I was standing all the way up, all I could really see was like barely just the tip top of this deer's back. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And part of this whole dilemma, you know, with me not shooting this other deer down there is, was just the ethical, where do I shoot this deer? Right. Because the people that were, um, you know, people that had, had, you know, experience with that, if they did have experience with it, um, you know, they were like, well, you either shoot through the beans and, you know, there's a really good chance for, you know, arrow deflection, mm-hmm. um, or you shoot them in the neck. And right. I was, I was, that was the thing that I was, you know, struggling, struggling with a lot because just like what, what's the more ethical you shot. Know, shot. Right. Yeah. You know, do you take the shot you can see or do you, you know, aim at the vitals, you know, like, like you should. So I had decided that I was going to, if anything, I was going to try to shoot this deer mid body because mm-hmm. I knew I did not want to be anywhere close to that shoulder. Right. And I thought to myself, if anything, I'm going to hit low because I'm not going to be high. So this deer put its head down, started feeding. I go ahead and I go to full draw. And my plan was, is I was going to wait for his head to come back up. And so that way I can draw a line, you know, down his neck, you know, to where I think, you know, through his shoulder and to where, you know, his mid body should be. And I stood there full draw for about a full minute. And the deer finally picked his head back up and I took my 30 yard pin. I moved it right down his neck you know, right, you know, I'm aiming in beans at this point, you know, obviously. Right. And, you know, right in the middle of the body. And, you know, I touched that one off and I heard it, I heard it impact the deer. I didn't know where it hit them. Um, but as soon as the deer started running off, I got, um, I got the binos on them and he ran out there, um, to 63 yards and stopped and looked around. I immediately hit the ground. And at that point, the deer was out of the beans. He was staying in the wide open. Right. So, um, I went ahead. I got another, <clears throat> got another arrow knocked, um, dialed down my sight, and uh, drew back and stood up again and and shot him. And I mean, I just absolutely pounded him that time. Nice. And uh, he probably went twenty yards past that shot and and piled up. I didn't get to see him pile up, but he went into a really tall patch of CRP then and uh piled up just inside there dude so how how stoked were you like what was your thought immediately after that i pretty much freaked out <laughs> <laughs> as you should <laughs> uh, i mean you know you take you know everything that i had you know been through you know those you know those 20 days and you know getting to learn all the things that i got to learn and you know going through that you know that that mental, you know, struggle of just, you know, getting out there and staying in it, you know, every day, um, you know, and being so close to that other deer, you know, that whole time and never, never getting a shot and just, you know, frustrated and, and, you know, all that. And, to, you know, to come out on top with the, the biggest buck that was running, you know, probably a pretty, pretty decent size area. It, uh, it felt, felt pretty good <laughs> nice man when uh when you uh what did you think when you put your hands on it for the first time oh uh, on, honestly it it didn't even it didn't even feel like it was real yeah it was just just shock honestly yeah 
what uh what did you end up what did you uh, tape out at um so actually we got a couple different scores uh here lately uh we got anywhere from 182 to 189 nice um so he's he's somewhere right in there nice yeah dude he's a he's a freaking hammer dude it's a big, yeah it's a big freaking deer man i was yeah. stoked for you when i saw the post dude because i knew you were i knew you had kicked off your uh your trip this past september and when i saw you post that i was like get out of here dude i was like <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's unreal man and like it's insane too because of the amount of pressure that you were in in that area i mean i'm assuming all public right in that area yeah yeah yep. and so it's just the number of guys that were hunting that deer or just i'm I imagine probably that deer plus like the two other ones that you kind of knew were in the area, that big eight and then other, the other big one that you were chasing around. Yeah. yeah. You know? So it's like, it wasn't like uh wasn't like nobody knew about it. Right. I mean, there was at some point, you know, I was, my car was parked there so often, you know, not only the hunters in that area, but also like locals started to like, there was one day that, a guy that I'd never seen before just came up to me, um, you know, on the, on the road and was asking me about these deer. I'm just like, how do you know about these, about these deer? Well, you know, that competing with all those, with all the other guys, you know, there's, there's private right, right next to it, which I knew that the, that the guy that was hunting there, you know, he has cell cameras, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's cell cameras scattered all throughout, you know, that little section that I was hunting, you know, there's 10 other, 10 other guys hunting it as well. And, you know, I'm just one guy. Yeah. Now, I felt, I felt outnumbered. Right. And, you know, the, the local guys that are down there, you know, they're kind of working as a, as a team. Right. And it's just like, man, I have, you know, you know, this is, this is a hard, a hard thing just, you know, because of, you know, knowledge and eyeballs out in the field. Right. Did a thought ever cross your mind just to kind of like take off and go somewhere else where there wasn't as much pressure? Yeah. Yeah, there was, but that was around the, you know, the, those hard days I was talking about, you know, day 16, day 17. Yeah. Because not only was there that one eight pointer there, I knew where there was another, I don't know, probably like 150 inch 10 pointer, you know, hanging out. Right. Um, that I just never, <clears throat> I never even gave the, gave the time of day. Um, so there was, there was a, there was quite a few times where I just kind of wanted to pack it up and, and, you know, head out, but, you know, but I just stuck to my guns there. Yeah. It's good, man. Dude. Well, I'm stoked for you, man. It's a hell of a deer. You had a hell of a season. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do, uh, what you, uh, what you do next year. One of these days, maybe we'll see each other in person and, uh, and share a, a malted beverage together and celebrate. How's that sound? It sounds good to me. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, buddy, before I let you get going, man, I want to be sensitive to your time. Let folks out there know where they can find out more about you, follow along, and and take part or you know consume whatever content you might have out in the world. Sure. So it's just uh, Facebook and Instagram. That's all I have. Um, Jace Allen on Facebook, J-A-C-E-A-L-L-E-N. Um, you can look up my name on Instagram, too, or uh, my lovely uh, Instagram handle, Nature of the Beast. Nature of the beast. Didn't wasn't there a video that came out too recently or not too long ago about the, some uh Yeah, so my uh my season last year, my my three buck season, um yeah. it's on YouTube on uh, the Whitetail Addictions channel. 
Yeah. So folks, go check that out. Get you get yourself a pool of the uh, the one and the only Jace freaking Allen. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely. Anytime. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Spartan Forge, Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.